No, it always came up, you know, uh, growing up, there was a little time in my life that I'm not proud of that I was kind of a bully. And mm, it was kind of like self preservation. Aren't you so like than five anything. foot two? Who are you bullying? <laughs> You're I am, I am five foot. <laughs> I'm 411, but I, I can find you. I'm somebody you probably want to bring to a fight. I've been in a couple and, and come out on top and surprised quite a few people. <laughs> yeah, I'm like a chihuahua. I don't give up. I'm and, short, but I got these hands. You're right. And feet and teeth, all of it. Welcome to Wise and Wine, a play on the phrase, rise and shine. Now look here, folks. I've had five jobs in the last two years, and that shit just ain't normal. Or is it? No, no, it's not. So I'm turning to diverse people who inspire me both professionally and personally with careers that didn't exactly start at point A and end at point B. We'll explore how their families, their cultures, and their communities impacted their career decisions, as well as the exact moment they decided to pursue their passions, even if that passion wasn't a direct path to a pension or a 401k. Hopefully, I'll come away knowing how they became the badass, the confident, the strategic people that I admire. And if I don't come out of this project a little wiser, well, at least I'll enjoy the boozy wine ride. Making friends as an adult is a super weird experience. And I think a lot of times it happens through, you know, right place, right time, luck, or just a friend of a friend, somebody that introduces you when you end up stealing this person because you love them so much. Put them in your pocket and make them your own. And that's been my relationship with Aida Maldonado. We met through a mutual friend, uh, gosh, like 10 years ago. Uh, The three of us were supposed to run a half marathon together. And so we met in person for the first time. And she was just this completely motivated ball of energy, all four foot 11 of her. And she was just like, yes, we're going to do this. And she put a gym in her house and... I mean, somewhere along the line, my ass dropped off. I mean, I was in my terrible marriage at the time. And so I just wasn't motivated to do this. But she, of course, because she does everything she sets her mind to, did in fact complete it. And so ever since then, we've just kind of been internet friends. And we've kept up with each other through Instagram. And she's cheered me on through all of life's weirdness from afar. And she's not that far. She lives outside of Dallas and I'm outside of Austin. So we're not that far away, but we haven't managed to see each other in person until last year. Um, Scuba Steve and I were trying to decide what to do for my birthday. And I kind of, she just bought a new house with her husband and I joked, well, we should just come to your house. And she was like, bish, say less come over. We're going to do this. She had a plan. And then of course your vaccinated girl over here got COVID and we ended up not doing it, but we've still kind of kept in touch. And, um, I just was like, you know, I want to know more about you. We've kind of kept this 
surface relationship. And as much as I've loved it and I've loved following your journey, I just wanted to know more about her. She just got her bachelor's degree in speech pathology. She's going to go back and pursue a master's degree. She's working with kids with autism and helping them with their speech. I I don't know a more selfless person. And then as we started talking, I learned, oh, we both have these really kind of traumatic childhoods. And you would never know. You would never know by her gorgeous face, by her gorgeous smile, by her family and just how loving and well-adjusted her kids seem to be, at least from afar. Um, She's been married to her husband for 20 years and they seem great. She, I noted when we first met and I never asked her about it, that she has a glass eye. So we, we talk a little bit about that and what she had to overcome in her life, going through surgeries, going back and forth to Puerto Rico, dealing with a father that was in jail, having to put her career on hold to take care of her dad. It just sounded real similar. So even listening to her tell this story feels similar to me. You kind of tell it matter of fact, because it is how it is. This is your life and you don't know it any other way. But I don't think our relationship is a trauma bond. I think it's a admiration bond. I think it's looking at this strong woman of color who knows herself, who is confident, who is passionate, who wants to make the world a better place, who wants to make a difference in people's lives. And I absolutely loved talking to her. So without further ado, I hope you fall just as madly in love as I did after talking to my Boricua Colora. Oh, I need to work on my Spanish. Boricua Colora, my friend, Aida Maldonado. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good. How are you, Jen? Good. I'm so excited to be here. Yay, yay. And, and to be honest with everybody, we've been chatting for a little bit, so we're not just kind of rolling yeah. into this <laughs> totally fresh. Um, but we're also doing this during a work day. So what are you drinking? I am actually not drinking anything. <laughs> I was really excited to get on here. And so I was like, oh my God, I have to be um, on time. And here so like I, I'm not drinking anything but I'll probably ask my daughter to get me something yes I had every I was gonna drink wine but I drank the bottle last night so <laughs> that's a very I have I have um a wine fridge like a wine cooler uh-huh. and um it never has more than two bottles in it because I I drink it in. I have three children I have a full-time job they're in sports like I I need it yeah, this is energy. This is the juice that keeps you going. Yeah. All right. So before we get into your career and your family and all that good stuff, I have to ask, because I am not from Texas, can you please explain this pride that y'all have for this state that is just so big and pervasive in, in everything that you do, where the star is everywhere, y'all wear the flag on your bathing suits what what is it about texas that makes this place so amazing um that's cute that you think that <laughs> i'm that person but i'm actually not from here I was oh born really in puerto rico ah. mm-hmm. i was born in rio piedras puerto rico 
Um, <clears throat> we moved here the first time when I was six um, because my parents wanted better medical care for me. Ah. Um, and uh, that's, that's why we ended up here. And so I lived, we, we lived here in the Metroplex, uh, Dallas-Fort Worth until I was 10. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to California, to Oceanside, California. And we lived there for two years. And my dad went to prison. That was really fun. And we moved back to Puerto Rico <laughs> when I was 12. And we stayed there till I was 16. 16, yeah. And then um, we moved back to the Metroplex, to Texas. Okay. Even when I lived here in Texas, um, my mom... Um, found work at American Airlines. And oh, wow. so she would send us to Puerto Rico, um, you know, every long weekend, spring break, Christmas, summers, we would spend in Puerto Rico. So I spent about the same amount of time in Texas as I did in Puerto Rico. Okay. I kind of lived half the year in Puerto Rico and half the year here. Um, but if I was to choose home, it would definitely be Puerto Rico. That's where my cousin's where that's where my grandma was you know my grandma was a huge um person in my life she helped to raise us and I think that the way she was and I was so afraid of her <laughs> made me somewhat act right throughout my youth you know mm -hmm. um so yeah I think that Puerto Rico is home it's always home even though I've technically lived here longer than I ever did over there mm -hmm. um but yeah, I think Puerto Rico is always home for me. So how did y'all never end up in New York? I feel like that's a natural, there's so many Puerto Ricans that live in New York because of the proximity, I would imagine. New York or, or Florida. Or Florida um, yeah. Well, like I said, my parents were looking for better healthcare. Um, mm -hmm. I have a glass eye. And so um, the type of cancer that I had to, to have my eye removed, mm -hmm. Um, was very rare back in the day, back in that time. And so there wasn't a lot of like, um, there wasn't a lot of knowledge as far as like how to care for somebody that had been through that type of cancer. Gotcha. Um, so there was a specialist here that I don't know how my mom found because there was no Google at that time. So I don't know how my mom <laughs> found that doctor. Um, but she did. And she brought me here to like have um, better care, there was a lot of surgeries that I needed uh, mm -hmm. growing up. And so, um, you know, being in close proximity to good doctors, to good hospitals, to all of that was really important to my mom, which is really um, big of her because she was 17 when she had me. Oh, gosh. She was baby. 17 when she had me. And so for her to come to a whole new country where she had, where, you know, my parents had zero family, zero um English speaking skills, you know, other than what they learned at school, which is what we learned in foreign language class here, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, they literally had to start from, from the bottom. And um, it was just, I can't imagine how scary that was for, yeah. for my parents, you know? Um, so it was, it was my dad, my mom, my dad, and my sister, Natalie, and me that moved over here. And that first winter that we moved here, it snowed. Um, and I had never, you know, I was a little tropical girl. And yeah, it snowed. And so that's how we ended up here. And yeah. All right. I don't know. 
okay about that. <laughs> so tell me about kind of your growing up. Like, is this, when you think about the family that you wanted for yourself and the career that you wanted for yourself, how did um, growing up, you know, kind of between two countries and moving on a little bit and you're having your parents having to just kind of navigate this new world. How did that impact you growing up? Well, I'm not going to say that my childhood was bad because it really wasn't, but it was really hard. My parents were poor, really poor, really, really poor, Um, even though I never knew it until Mm. after I grew up Mm. or I was a teenager and, you know, uh, you start being more aware of things. Um, uh, so we always struggled with money. My parents have both, both have very addictive personalities. My dad was addicted to drugs and alcohol. And my mom is just a very codependent person. Mm. Um, she's been therapy for that. And she's gotten a whole, whole lot better. But um, my growing up was very complicated. And I don't think that I ever thought of career or family or anything like that. I thought like, I just need to make it to tomorrow. (laughs) I need to make it to tomorrow. (laughs) You know, like, what are we going to eat? You know, when, when my dad went to jail, um, we ate ramen noodles for three times a day for like three months. And um, my grandma came to get us and move us back to Puerto Rico. And it's just always been of, you know, get up and go, get up and go, get up and go. We never lived anywhere for more than, I think the longest time we ever lived anywhere was two years until we moved back to Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my parents finally bought a house and stuff like that. And they lived there for a few years and then they got a divorce. And, you know, it's just always been like tug and pull, tug and pull, tug and pull. Like we need to you know, we got kicked out of this place. We need to find another place. And it's just always been here and there and here mm-hmm. and there. Mm-hmm. It's like and survival. So, yeah. Survival. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, so at what point when, I don't know if it's when you got on your own or when did you start thinking about what you wanted for your life and what did you want for your career? and family. It took such a long time for that. It took such a long time for that. (laughs) I never thought about it. I never thought about it. Um, Not when I got married, not after I had kids. I was just always, you know, making sure everybody was taken care of. And I don't speak to that to say like, I'm some kind of martyr. And you know, that that's what you should do, because I really am trying to raise my daughter, you know, my kids in general, but especially my daughter, like, you don't, have to sacrifice your life for everybody and make sure that everybody is okay to give yourself Mm. permission to be okay um so i just want to put that caveat in there. like i'm not saying that i'm this amazing angel or whatever that puts everybody first um i don't think that's healthy at all but i did do that for uh, uh the first half of my life probably a little bit more um and so things just shifted so i my dad got really sick And I hadn't even talked to him or heard from him for like a year. And I got a call from the hospital saying that um, he had a partial amputation and that he had been in the hospital for 10 days and he was being discharged and needed somebody to pick him up. So um, that person was me. Mm. (laughs) I had to go and pick him up. 
I had to quit my job. I had to care for mm-hmm. him and stuff like that. And so when I was ready to get back to the job market, um, just a whole bunch of things happened. I had job after job after job. Um, and either the company fell through or I just wasn't, it just wasn't for me or I had to take my dad all of a sudden to a, a doctor's appointment. And it was yeah. just like a lot. So then um, I had I had this one job to make a long story short, where I was auditing contracts. I was like in in the financial world, mm-hmm. um, and I made my way from collections to bankruptcy, repoing cars to auditing um, contracts on okay. commercial trucks. Okay. So that's what I was doing, and the company was super shady. They weren't doing things the way that they were supposed to, and when I would call them out on certain things that they were doing, they didn't like it. So they fired me like with oh. no warning, oh, goodness. no written, no verbal, no nothing. Just like, this is your last day. And, you know, you can use this as a reference. And I was like, what? <laughs> no. Deeper no. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. So um, again, shrinking the story, I um, used up all the unemployment because I was like, this is happening. I'm filing unemployment. You're paying for it, period. Right. Um, they tried to fight it, but, you know, anyway, so I used it all up. And then I um, was like, I don't want to go back to corporate America. I want to do something that, you know, I'll be more available for my family. And if I'm so disposable, you know, they can get rid of me so fast and so easily, then, you know, I don't want to have a job like that. I right. want to invest my time and energy in, in, in my family. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'll just work out this kid's school district, have their same hours, same days off and stuff like that until something better comes along. Okay. So when I started working at the school, when I interviewed, I interviewed to be like a lunch lady. <laughs> Like a lunch lady, like cafeteria monitor, something, something crazy like that. And when I interviewed, the principal was like, no, I need you. Like, I love your personality, the way that you are. Like, I see potential in you. I need you to be a teacher's assistant. Oh, good. Um, But the teacher's assistant position is for um, special ed and behavior intervention. I need you in both. Do you think you can do it? And I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds super cute. (laughs) And so... And then, and, and then, but it was the hardest work I've ever done in my life. Like I've literally sprinted after a, a severely autistic child in the school that was like running. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, like there's been, uh, I've been headbutted, all of that stuff. And that was my first experience into special education and stuff like that. But I loved it. Like I was like, I, Anytime I can get um, this child that I'm responsible to do something that everybody says he can't do, that's so cool to me. Mm -hmm. Or to be able to connect with a child that everybody's like, oh, you know, I don't, I can't have them in my class. They're too disruptive. They're this, they're that, Mm -hmm. you know, and then like you actually connect with that student and they, they perform well because they don't want to disappoint you. Um, that's huge for me, you know, um, and I loved it. And I met four amazing ladies that to this day are four of my best friends. Um, and all of them were like, you're so good at this job. Like, you know, you need to do it for real. And my friend Shelby sat me down one day and she was like, you need to go back to school, period. Like, we're going to have this conversation every three months until 
you enroll. So I was like, oh my God, she's so annoying. <laughs> and so I did. <laughs> I did. I enrolled and my first semester, I took two classes at TCC and then it took off from there. Um, after that semester, I enrolled full-time. I was working full-time. I was uh, going to school full-time. I finished I finished um, at TCC and I, I wanted to do speech because being a teacher seems just way, way, way too hard. Mm. And mm. speech just sounded like something I could do at a school, something I could do in a clinic, something I could do um, at a hospital if I wanted to. Um, and so it just seemed the way to go for me. And also there's very little diversity in speech mm. um, pathology, very little. 6% of speech pathologists are bilingual. Oh, wow. Um, and so, you know, I just felt like there needed to be more representation in the field. And that's why I decided that that's something I wanted. So the Terry Foundation sent me three invitations to apply for their scholarship. Okay. Um, the Terry Scholarship is a very lucrative scholarship um, in the state of Texas. They offer it to they, they offer it to freshman students, and they did up until I was the last cohort. Um, they offered the scholarship um, for transfer students as well. So people that started off at a community college and were transferring over to a four year university. Okay. Um, and <clears throat> only like 90 people in the state get that scholarship. Um, and and I don't know one? why. They, uh, yeah. <gasps> and I don't know why they said that invitation to me. I thought it was fake. And I literally did, deleted it like twice. And the third time somebody emailed me and I'm so glad that they did. They were like, this is not fake. Like, <laughs> please apply for this scholarship. You know, you never know what will happen. And so I did. I applied for the scholarship. I didn't expect anything. Nobody has ever like taken an interest in me like that ever, ever, ever. I've never been an academic person. This was like crazy. I applied for the scholarship one day that Victoria was at practice, one of those long, long, long practices. And I didn't expect anything to come of it. And then they interviewed me and I sat in front of a five person panel Wow. and told them my story and they liked it. And they, they gave me $40,000 to finish my undergrad. Wow. <laughs> and not only that, but the opportunity to, to study abroad, um, which was robbed by Corona, but, uh. you know, but also on scholarship, you know, they are a foundation that not only gives you money, but connect you with other people in the field. Um, because of them, I was able to get a spot at a research lab. Um, because of them, I was able to, um, what else? I did the research lab, um, just do so many things, so many things, have so many connections and uh, have the opportunities that I've had up until now. Like I'm literally 40 years old and I went to school on a full scholarship. That's amazing. And yeah, like I don't know anybody else that that's happened to. So um, it's just a big blessing. It's a huge blessing and it's a, it's a confirmation that I'm walking in the path that I need to be in, beyond, you know, um, that nothing has ever come easy ever 
ever. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, in these good, really good things that have happened to me, I've gained a lot of confidence that I just because good things haven't happened to me doesn't mean that I can't make good things happen to me. Yeah. I can do it. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't I don't need somebody to do it for me. Um, I can I can make that life for myself. I don't even know what to say that I feel like they should put you on a poster. I feel like you should be like <laughs> their poster child. Cause that's a may it, it's, and that's for me. And I think for you as well, that that's why we get into these spaces of wanting to help other people because we were helped. And it's one of those things where you don't, you don't need to know why they picked you or how they found you. I love that. They were so persistent that they were like, no yeah. girl, <laughs> answer this email. It's like, Hello. <laughs> The we're trying to give you money crazy what's the matter with you but I think that's why we both do what we do like even with you talking about helping the special needs kids because somebody just needs to be given a chance and somebody needs to be seen and somebody needs to know that somebody cares about them so that they can achieve things that they didn't think that they could achieve so that's awesome I love your story so much so for people that don't know what a speech pathology speech pathologist is what do you what does the speech what does a speech pathologist do it sounds like I need one um and what is like a day-to-day in that career look like so I have a bachelor's degree and what that means is that I am not able to evaluate treat feeding disorders or diagnose Okay. So that goes along with evaluation. So right now I'm what's it, what's called an SLPA, which is a speech language pathologist um, assistant. And so what I do is I treat language disorders. So for it's such a broad um, field. So a speech, an actual speech pathologist can treat uh, feeding disorders. So if you have like a, an autistic child or just a child in general that's super picky and doesn't want to eat and you're really concerned about their about their nutrition and and you know that they're not getting the nutrition that they need a speech pathologist can help with that Hmm. to introduce different textures to introduce different um different foods and just give you strategies and and ways to be able to do that with with your child or even with an adult um also they could treat swallowing disorders. Hmm. So for example, somebody that's had a stroke sometimes has difficult, have difficulty swallowing, um, which impairs their speech and stuff like that. So a speech pathologist will help uh, develop those muscles again and just try to get the person back to as close to normal as possible. Also um, communication needs, you know, any type of communication disorder we can help with. Um, articulation needs. So sometimes, you know, a lot of kids say, oh, I went to speech when I was, when I was in school because I couldn't say my R's. You know, a speech pathologist can help those kids that say wabbit, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I think is so cute. I, I hate fixing that. <laughs> like, leave we it, leave kids, it. <laughs> yeah, we teach kids uh, to talk back, basically, okay. and to communicate a lot of uh, what I, a lot of my work right now focuses on on the autistic community. Um, So we do a lot of pragmatic work. Um, We do a lot of uh, learning, learning to communicate 
in more ways than one. So mm -hmm. not just with words, but with the way we ask, um, a lot of pragmatic skills, a lot of building the lexicon, which is like your, your, your mental dictionary. Mm -hmm. um, and teaching life skills through communication, you know? Right. Um, and that's, that's basically what we do. That's, it's really fun. That's not at all what I thought you were going to say. So I'm glad that I asked and got more information about it. Are you going to focus kind of on kids or you do kids, elderly? I know I you mean, said autistic, special yeah, needs. I um, love the autistic community. I love working with kids. It's my jam. It's my jam. I'm really good at it. Mm -hmm. Like really good at it. Um, I think it's a lot in part because I'm a kid myself. <laughs> um, but I do want to shift at least part of my career to working with adult autistic people because I think that they fall by the wayside a lot. You know, we focus so much on, on kids that have autism and there's a lot of energy and programs that are based on that, which is important because early intervention is super, super, super important. Um, but yes, I do want to focus at least a part of my career on adult with a, adult autistic people. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to get my master's. That's a goal that I have to, to enroll into a program by August. Um, currently looking for the best program right now. Yeah. Um, so that's my, my goal. I hope to do that. Um, but I really like what I do right now. I started off in home health in May, like you started on it with your job mm -hmm. and I hated it <laughs> I hated it and, and I I love the kids I love the family but I hated all the driving around mm. I hated mm. you know like having to be responsible for so much mm. and the the return was very little yeah you know and so yeah. like if patients canceled their appointments I wouldn't get paid oh and no so I was like yeah, we're not doing this. No, no, I've got, I've got a new house to pay for. This is not. This is not how this <laughs> yeah, is going to work. Like this, this ain't it, chief. <laughs> so um, I found a job. I I was praying to the universe because I don't really claim like any certain religion or anything like that. But I do believe in prayer, and I do believe that there's something out there that's bigger than us. So I was praying, and I was like, "This ain't it, chief. And this is not what I spent four years of my life." busting my butt for you know this is not it so every chance I got every time I got a cancellation I would apply to different jobs mm -hmm. and uh, finally I got a job interview with this amazing lady um, that opened up her own clinic that has very like-minded um, goals very okay. like-minded goals uh, she's Dominican Ooh. and I'm like oh yes. my god new islanders here like this is it you know and she's just been so open you know her business is starting literally her life is writing on it you know like her her life is writing on it and she decided to take me in and entrust me with like her entire little kingdom she's building you know right. and she is teaching me all of her ways. She's my sensei. 
<laughs> she's my I don't know what is that Star Wars the the Yoda oh yeah my Yoda my I don't know the teacher person yes you know Jedi, Jedi master there we go yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah she's that to me and she's been um amazing she's been amazing uh she shares her space she's given me all her keys all her passwords and everything and I'm like Ooh, this is a lot of responsibility, you know, like this is somebody's dream. This is somebody's, you know, like life. And she's like, here, I'm sharing it with you. And I'm taking it all with a grain of salt. I'm riding this wave and I love it. And I hope it takes me far. It takes us far. Yeah. Is it just the two of you or how big is her team? Yeah. Oh, which is, oh, it's, it's, oh, it's a little operation. Okay. Y'all are, y'all are making it happen. Yeah, it's busy. It's busy. I work 10 hour days. Um, it, you know, we have patients back to back to back to back. It's, um, it's laborious, but it's a labor of love, man. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. I really love. Um, I had my, my first patient under my care in my office utter their first word. And that was just like their first word ever in life. And so it was really, really, and in, in context, pointing, like all of it, the joint attention, the, the, the speech, all of it together was just a whole event. And oh I was like, God. awesome. That's my first session of the day. I called my <laughs> boss. I was like, I'm going home. <laughs> I fulfilled my mission. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, that was a really, really cool moment in my career. It was, uh, my career literally just started, but I mean, it was amazing, you know, to hear this little baby say Apple. I've never been so excited um, to, to hear that. And it was just really neat. And it's so fulfilling to, to see, because when you're a parent and you have these like expectations or aspirations for your kids you know mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. those aspirations are kind of like cut out out from under your feet mm -hmm. and a lot of times it's things that you didn't even think about right. things that we take advantage of that we can talk that we can mm -hmm. you know produce sound to communicate mm -hmm. is so taken for granted we take it for granted every day mm -hmm. um and so for mom or my patients parents to have hope that they're going to be able to communicate verbally with their child mm -hmm. was just a really cool moment you made me cry <laughs> that's I awesome I cried no that's <laughs> awesome but I love but I think this is what you know when this is what I thought careers were supposed to be. I thought you were supposed to just love what you do. And I thought you were supposed to just have this passion. And so I think part of the reason why I'm bouncing around from careers is working with people that just don't have it. Like you're just here for a check and like, mm -hmm. what? We're here for so long. If you're going to spend 10 hours a day on what you're doing, that's mm -hmm. 10 hours. You're away from your family. It's 10 hours. You're away from you know, your life. So if you're going to spend that 10 hours a day doing this thing, it sure shit better be something that you love. So I love that you found exactly. that. I love that you found that. So I, my, I didn't know oh, that out there. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm so happy that I found it. I mean, now let's, let's, you know, 
call things what they are. I've only been here for a month. So let's circle back in six months and make sure that, <laughs> that this is the thing. <laughs> but I will tell you that I worked at that school. I worked at the school as a teacher's aide and I got paid, Jennifer, $15,000 a year. Like okay. the Terry Foundation paid me more to go to school than then, you know, I got mm -hmm. paid working at the school and I loved it. And I showed up every day. I showed up every day. And, you know, so I don't see this passion or this, or this, uh, um, yeah, passion for this field or for this job going away anytime soon. But again, you know, this is something that's beginning. And it's so cool because like, um, not only is it a job that I enjoy, but I get to be a part of something from the ground up. Yeah, for sure. You know, and all of that together just makes me excited to, mm -hmm. to go to work. Now on Thursday, because I don't work Fridays, on Thursday, I'm like, oh my God, please, come on. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one. All right, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm tired and I need that rest, um, but I'm I'm ready to go back on Monday. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited about this career and where it's gonna take me. Now, I love that you said that it's it's not a diverse field. Would you say six percent um, mm -hmm. of the people in the field? So, is your company is it is there a a focus on people of color or does it just happen that way? Like how does, how does your passion for diversity kind of fit into your career now? Uh, yes, our services are very diverse. Um, actually, I want to say 90% of our patients are English learners. Um, so um, yeah, it's, it's, important to me all the way around. Like I said, when I walk into a space, the first thing I notice is, are there other brown mm -hmm. people here? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and if not, I always feel a little bit uneasy, you know, um, not, I don't know, it's just the way that things have been. And it's been my experience living as a, as a brown person in this world. Mm -hmm. My husband is probably a little bit browner than me and he doesn't have the same experience <laughs> he doesn't have the same experience and he doesn't feel the same way I do when it comes to you know that being the first thing I notice and my mm -hmm. kids are always like oh my god mom again you know but it's just something that has been my experience growing up and so it's something that's important to me to to work in a diverse space to work in a space where where my time is valued yeah. because I don't, I don't, I've worked hard my entire life. I'm not afraid of work, but I'm not going to work somewhere where my time doesn't matter, mm -hmm. where if I died, my job position would be posted before my obituary. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not going to sacrifice so much of me for something that I don't get anything out of. Like right. I'm done doing that. I'm never doing that again. Mm -hmm. I'm never doing that again. Amen. And are you finding, are, do you find that there are unique um, issues that people of color face in the space of whether it's autism or speech pathology, like where you work, that you're kind of filling a specific niche? And I, and I bring that up because I was listening to a podcast about, um, about how women don't, uh, Black women 
aren't paid attention to in the healthcare industry. And so there was a woman who was having a baby and it was her second baby. She had lost her first baby. And so she was very, I think her baby was coming due early and she kept telling the doctors like I don't feel this something feels wrong something feels wrong and it wasn't until another black doctor came in that was like hey look at her chart she's scared because she already lost a baby like let's pay attention to that fact too and it's like oh why do what why why do we have to have somebody that looks like us to go oh your pain is real so are you finding that they're in the speech pathology autism does um do people of color face additional challenges beyond just the initial diagnosis? Absolutely. So when, when, um, when you have a child that has a diagnosis of autism, life becomes harder already, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because there's a lot of people that, that, that don't understand autism and, to be fair, autism is a very difficult um, disability to understand, or is a very difficult condition to understand. Um, it's all about social behaviors. It's all about uh, communication skills and stuff like that. And it's such a broad spectrum that it's difficult to like put your finger on it. Like I have a headache or I'm diabetic and this is what I need to do to take care of myself. It's very different. Um, and there's a, a real popular saying that says, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Mm-hmm. So you can't like generalize, you know? Um, so, and then add on top of that, English being your second language, add on top of that, you know, navigating this world as, as, as a minority and there not being enough people to understand not only this disability or this condition that your child has, but also your experience in this world as a person of color. It just becomes all that much more complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was working in home health, it didn't matter what language the person spoke. If they did, if English wasn't their first language, they ended up on my caseload because I guess Spanish translates to every other. Yeah, (laughs) Vietnamese Spanish, it's totally transferable. It's fine, it's fine. It's fine, yeah. And, And my, manager or my supervisor my uh, boss right now she has had the exact same experience Mm -hmm. so um i don't know what people expect when they get into this field (laughs) i'm not sure what they expect but a lot of times what i've seen is when something gets difficult they really want to like shift it off Mm -hmm. um so I've, i've found a lot of that too but working in this space, we thrive with, with those difficulties, you know, and for us, it's like, yes, if I can, if I can work with this patient, I can work with literally like anyone, you know, so it's just a matter, it's just a matter of perspective and how you look at things and, and the reasons why, you know, you went into it in the first place. Mm. Um, And so, yes, I have found that that being bilingual just brings a little a little more comfort to a parent maybe not the child because I don't think an autistic child is really thinking about your color or your you know I think that they can't that they do focus and that they do understand how you treat them and how you make them feel though absolutely um and and that translates into understanding their experience in in the world or at least trying to Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah. So you are raising, have raised three children. <laughs> it's like, I still can't believe you have a 19 year old kid, but <laughs> we ain't done yet. <laughs> do, you, do you think about what, what you would want for them and their careers and, and for them in the workspace and how are you preparing them for that? You know, their careers is something that they have to find. It's not something that I, I will help them. Mm -hmm. Once, you know, they, I'll help them get there any way that I can, of course, but that's something that they have to navigate on their own, what their interests are. Now, what I do want to instill in my kids is that success doesn't necessarily transfer into dollar signs. Mm. You need to eat, you need to eat and, you know, be comfortable in, in your, in your skin and, and be able to afford the things that you genuinely like and make you happy, you know? Um, but success doesn't necessarily translate into money. Um, I think, I think Wendy is important because I love taking trips and, you know, I like going out to eat and I'm sure that they like what they like too. And money is definitely important, but it's not everything. Yeah. And I think that so much of success is tied to money these days, or I don't know, as long as I can remember, as long as I can remember, I remember, um, I don't know, I never talked about college, but hearing other people talk about college say, you know, oh, I want to do this. And like their parents or people that are close to them saying, that's not going to make you any money. Why are you doing that? Or, you know, discourage um, kids out of their passion. And I don't want to be that parent. I want my kids to do something that they really love, regardless of whether that means college or not. Um, I, I want my kids to do something that's fulfilling. You know, um, a lot of people say, I want my kids to be happy. And of course I want that for them, mm -hmm. but I have stopped tying my responsibility to that because mm -hmm. I think that ultimately as a person, you're responsible for finding your own happiness, Right. you know? Mm -hmm. Your parents can give you the resources to find to find that but ultimately you know you have to you have to do that on your own yeah um i hope that they are happy you know i don't want unhappy children i don't want my i don't want unhappy children of course <laughs> i want my children whether they're happy or not but right. i don't want my kids to be unhappy but i also understand that that's not um a realistic expectation mm -hmm. um to be happy all the time you know Right. to be happy all the time and for things to be great all the time. Um, things are hard. Life is hard. And I want to give my kids the tools to be able to navigate life regardless of whether it's happy or sad or, you know, wherever they're at in life. I want them to know that mom is here. <laughs> I want to, I know I sent you questions ahead of time and we've gone off of we, you're answering them, but I want to make sure, but I know you prepared for this. So I want to at least get one of those questions that I had prepared for you. So you live and breathe diversity, equity, inclusion in both your professional and personal life without waiting for applause. It just is what it is. So where do you think that comes from for you? And how do you respond to these when you're challenged? Um, I think uh, it goes back to, to, 
my childhood, you know, I guess like everything does mm -hmm. ultimately. Um, I was alone a lot growing up, like most of the time. I don't, I don't, and if my mom and dad listen to this, you know, I don't want them to think that they're bad parents because they did the best they could with everything they had, but I don't really have a lot of memories of us spending time together mm. or me being with my parents. Most of my memories are by myself. I was a latchkey kid when I was six years old. I had to walk home and, um, you know, even feed myself sometimes. And so um, I know what it's like to feel alone. I know what it's like for people to overlook you, mm. for people to say mean things to you and just think that it's okay. You know, um, and by people, I don't just mean other kids. I mean, like adults and people that are really supposed to love you and care about you and support you, telling you like your entire life, just like not things that are not edifying. And so um, for me, it's a big deal. When I see somebody, I, I'm a very empathetic person it's my downfall it's my super strength um i feel everything and i feel it very strongly um so when i see somebody that's hurting or somebody that is not seen or feels unseen i'm like no i see you i see you i see you so you know that kind of plays into my my career path too like what better what better career than to help people find their voice mm. you know literally Mm -hmm. and figuratively mm -hmm. so you know I just with with my family with my even my husband my kids I think I've made it as a mom and as a wife if my kids feel like they have a voice mm. and they feel seen you know mm -hmm. and safe to express when things suck and trust me everybody around here feels <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not really wondering what anybody's thinking huh they're they're, they're right there no. <laughs> no. one way or another yeah so yeah um I think that 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 is important to me um and just yeah I think a lot of a lot a lot of us um brown black minorities you know just people that have grown up in a different space that's been that's been one of our challenges is to be seen and for our concerns to be heard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whenever you do express those things, people are like, Ugh, oh my God, not this again. Why does yeah. everything have to be about race? Or why yes. does everything do this? Because everything fucking is about race. Yeah. Everything is like, you know, it, I, even with, with the Terry Foundation, I love them. They're dear to my heart. Like, um, and it's not just the Terry Foundation, just scholarships in general, you know, in order for, for me to even be seen, I had to tell you my life story and put mm -hmm. like a lot of my traumas and a lot of the things mm -hmm. that I've been through on the table and hope that they were entertaining enough or that they were mm -hmm. traumatic enough for you to offer me this scholarship. Wow. You know, and it's just the way that scholarships work and it's not anything negative on the Terry Foundation because I literally owe them my career. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you know, it's really difficult when you have to go through all of these experiences and have to talk about them and have to like relive all of that for the entertainment 
mm. of a bunch of white people to tell me, okay, you're cool. You can come in. Right. Wow. I didn't even think about it no. that way. I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, you're right. I think in terms of, and interviews are like that too. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I think about where I am trying to get more people of color and, and diverse people into STEM careers. And, you know, if they get into the interview, they have to be these super extraordinary yeah. people. Cause if they have a, a 2.0 GPA, you know, for me, I know they're struggling. If somebody has got a 2.0 GPA and they're in an engineering field, like something's happening, either they weren't academically prepared for it. And that affected them when they were in their early part of their, uh, education because this school gets way more money than that school. So yeah, they're going to have the resources and the teachers and they're going to be learning some of this stuff in high school. They're going to have like a a STEM Academy versus a kid that went to this school that didn't have all that stuff. And so, yeah, I consider that when I see a kid with a 2.0 GPA, it's like, well, that person's going through some stuff and we need to, figure out what that is, but how do you get the people who are higher up to see like, Hey, there's more value to this person than just a GPA. Mm-hmm. So yeah. For sure. Sorry. Tangent. Mm. Oh, it's a valid tangent. That's another po- a whole nother podcast we could do, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a totally valid point. And like I said, that's, that's a big reason why um, I, I went into this field and I even advocated for myself to one of the deans because when I was thinking about graduate school, I really wanted to go to UTD. Um, but it's it's a very competitive field, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very demanding, like the clinical hours, it's like an, an exuberant amount. Mm-hmm. And so you can't do your clinical hours and get paid for it. So it can't be like your job. And the amount of hours that they require, you have to, it's basically a full-time job. Right. So um, for people that look like me or for people that have a similar lifestyle, um, you know, we have to work. We have families we have to provide for. I don't have, you know, a rich husband or a rich daddy that can, or a rich mommy or a rich wife Mm -hmm. or anything Mm -hmm. like that, that can, that can provide for me while I'm going to graduate school. So it makes it really hard to continue in this field um, as a woman of color, as a a Hispanic woman, as a bilingual woman, because I know that I have a lot to add to the field. I know that I'm really good at my job and that I could be an excellent pathologist, but I just don't have two years of my life to not have an income and to pay for for graduate school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, and so... um, it's hard to, to, to navigate that world. And then not only that, but the GRE expectations, which are ridiculous. Most schools got rid of that um, over, over the pandemic and uh, UTD was still requiring it. And I'm like, I don't have time to prepare for a test that doesn't add any value to my career. Right. Like this is a $300 test. It doesn't add anything to my career. And like, I, I, I just don't understand why you put so much weight on it. So mm-hmm. anyways, that's a whole nother. Oh, no, tangent. no, please. And that was it. When I was in school, like I, I've never been good at standardized tests. So when it t- came time for me to go to grad school, I was like, there's a bunch that I'm not getting into because I don't mm-hmm. do this test well. And mm-hmm. yeah, Oof. yeah. 
on top of that. Well, the one other thing too, and, and thinking big picture about, yes, yeah, so you're not you, but people of color that are in similar situations or coming to college where, yeah, I don't have the time to just give up two years to be unpaid. Like I've got to work, whatever. And then you get into the industry where you're already a minority in the industry where you're not you're 6% is such a, I don't know what other word you would use other than minority. You're a minority in this field. And then beyond that, then we talk about you having a home and now you've moved into this new neighborhood where, Oh, not everybody looks like me. So it's like this Mm -hmm. constant, not battle, but it's just this constant, like, yeah, you have to be aware of who you are as a person of color, because it's everywhere. It's at work. It's at home. It's at school. It's at the grocery store. Like there's always exceptional. Sometimes I don't want to be exceptional everywhere I go. I don't want to have to be your little shine, your little brown shining star all the time. Sometimes I just want to be me and drink wine and be ratchet and just, you know, like everybody else. The hell. And get tattoos and not be treated like, you know, I'm some kind of one-eyed monster, which I guess technically I am, but I don't know. (laughs) Well, I was going to talk about that, but you, I feel like, uh, you did mention that, you know, when you were a kid that you had to overcome even uh, the cancer in your eye and had surgeries and now got the glass eye. And there was a, a guy that I went to college with that also had one. And, and I think it was, you know, it was the first time I had ever known that that exists. I don't know how in my world I'd never understood that people had class eyes, but I would say like you, it was never anything he considered to be a disability so (laughs) what was life like for you as a kid were was it never did it never come up was it never it's it's seemingly never impeded you but curious about how that no it always came up you know uh growing up there was a little time in my life that I'm not proud of that I was kind of a bully and mm, it was kind of like self preservation more you like five foot two who are you bullying (laughs) I am I am five (laughs) foot I'm 411 but I I can fight I'm somebody you probably want to bring to a fight I've been in a couple and and come out on top and surprised quite a few people yeah I'm like a chihuahua I don't give up I'm short but I got these hands you're right and feet and teeth all of it. <laughs> Anyways, um, so yeah, I, there was that period in my life where I was kind of a, a bully and it was for self-preservation. So when people would try to make fun of me, I would just try to beat them up, you know, mm. or intimidate them with my words. I've always been really good with words too. So, um, you know, I've done... I, I've kind of navigated life that way. And I think that in it's, I think that having a glass eye has helped me develop thick skin Mm. to a certain extent, because it's always been an issue. It's something that a lot of people notice, um, even with working with kids, you know, with working with kids, kids are intense. And they have no filter. (laughs) 
-hmm. and then when when they're when they're um when their behavior is being challenged you know they're trying to test you um also because of their situations like at home you know maybe everybody is always being mean to them and they were like in the situation that I was where they are just like self-preserving you know, and that's why they're mean so you know it's it's I don't know a character developer I guess because you have to learn to deal with these situations and you have to find a way to make it roll off your skin or in my case make people afraid of you so that they don't <laughs> <laughs> they don't disrespect you I don't know there was a long time in my life a few years when I was like in middle school and up to like ninth grade like right before we came here to Texas um that it, I had to be so prevalent with that like always defending myself and always like what's up you want to come on then like bring it like you know all the time like always on guard always um you know, just ready for the next argument or fight or whatever. And uh, I'm glad that that's not my life anymore. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's always been something that's there. Even grown women, you know, I had a job one time where I walked into a break room and they were making fun of my eye, like grown ass women. Mm. (laughs) And I was like, okay, weird flex, but... (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It's, um, it's strange. People are strange. And I think that when they can't attack your character, Mm. they start with like physical attributes because they don't have like anywhere else to go. And so you just kind of learn to, to understand that. And I think that that's given me, that's given me skills to be even more empathetic. You know, that a lot of times when people are not being nice, it's not necessarily, or, you know, just being mean um, it's just because of things that are inside them. It's not anything personal towards me, you know? Mm-hmm. So people are, stupid. <laughs> people are stupid. People are really stupid. And that's another thing. Like I love people. I, I, lo- I don't know if you're familiar with Glennon Doyle. Yes. Oh, Untamed is like my all time favorite book in the world. I have not read um, it. I'll I, add it to my list. I really, really 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 like her um so anyways she says like I love I love people in the sense that I'll like die for you but I don't want to have coffee <laughs> or talk uh-huh you know like that's, I don't know if anybody else can relate to that but like I love people but I also like really don't like people mm-hmm. I, I have to so do small quantities and people will tell me oh you're so outgoing you're so fun I'm like I can do it for a short amount of time like when I go on vacation um, I tell people like look I'm good I'll keep we'll entertain and we'll kiki but when I need to shut down I need to shut down if I'm reading a book leave me alone (laughs) there are going to be times where I need a break from all of this and you just need to respect that time because I love y'all, but y'all are crazy in so many ways. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I had a question for you and I totally forgot it. Oh, I was going to ask you. So again, you mentioned earlier that we have a lot of similarities in our childhood and, and childhood being hard and whatever, but you, I believe have 
this very effervescent, confident, you're gorgeous, you're fun, Aww. you dye your hair all fun colors. I, I just like, where does this confidence come from? Like, where do you think you created this from? I think coming into this decade, into, into my 40s, um, I just, one of the things that I love about me is that I just keep living. I just keep living, you know, like I fail, I fall short so much. I fall short so much, you know, like I'm not perfect and I'm okay with that. Mm. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not being perfect. I'm okay with failing. I'm okay with um, having to get back up and start over again. And, um, you know, some days my confidence is through the roof and there's other days where I'm like, I'm not sure I can do this today, you know, but Mm -hmm. every day I get up and I do it again and I get up and I do it again and I get up and I do it again. (laughs) And that's basically, that's basically it. You know, I don't need somebody to tell me you're amazing because that's already in me. Like I know it. You've very few people would be able to live through everything I've lived through mm-hmm. and be a whole person, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of, a lot of, a lot of circumstances and a lot of times in my life where I didn't think, I didn't think I was going to make it to 30. Actually, I thought I was going to die by the time I was 30. I didn't think I would make it to 40. So every day, every day that I get to live past that, which has been over 10 years now is like bonus, you know, like I'm here another day, like I got up to fight another day. And not only that, but like, I literally have everything I've ever wanted. Mm. I literally have everything I've ever wanted. So, you know, if all of it was taken away from me tomorrow, of course I would be devastated and sad, but at least I can look back and say, I had it. You know, like I did it. Um, Yeah, and I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the mistakes that I've made. Um, I'm not ashamed of of the roads I've had to go down to be where I am. You know, I think that everybody does what they have to do at the time. And um, the important thing is, is that every day you get up and you fight again. And I think that, that I've found a lot of confidence in that because it's really hard. It's really fucking hard. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it's super <laughs> it. All right. I have two more questions for you and then I'll let you go. So um, the header on your Instagram reads living my life between coffee, water, wine, and books. <laughs> now to me, that screams balance. What, <laughs> where do you succeed and where do you need to improve in getting balance in your life I don't have balance in my life I think if I was I think if I was to have balance in my life I would feel off balance (laughs) um I am a very all or nothing type person I don't know if that's come off in in this time that we've spoken together and in the years that we've been friends, I'm a very all or nothing type of person to my detriment. Mm. And also, you know, a good thing when I'm focused on, on something like I'm focused on, on that thing, you know, so whether that's 
my career, which is what I'm doing right now. I feel like I'm dropping the ball as a wife and a mom um, because I can't make it to all the practices. I can't give all the rides. I can't make all, you know, like help as much as I, as I used to around, you know, like my home. Um, and then like when I'm home, I'm, I don't care about my work, you know, like I'm here with my family. I'm here, like I'm, I'm, you know, doing this mom wife thing. So mm -hmm. whenever it's, it's just never in balance right now. I, a lot of times I over plan, over commit, and then just end up doing nothing and just have a bunch of people really mad at me because I told them I would do something and I didn't, I forget things all the time. Like I'm not in balance. I'm not. I'm just out here trying my best. <laughs> I'm trying my best. I'm not in balance. I try to find balance. I, I really do. Um, I buy planners all the time and they're blank. Um, I have three in the truck I, of my I car. <laughs> yeah, I buy the pens, the stickers, all of it, you know, to try to be balanced, but it just doesn't work out for me. And so I've just come to accept that I'm just, I have one eye. I'm asymmetrical. I'm not balanced. And that's just me. And it's the way it's going to be. <laughs> well, I was going to ask an, a question about where you see yourself in 10 years. But I think um, knowing that eventually you want to start your own podcast, I feel like this is going to be your, uh, that's going to make you do it. So what do you want people to know about you? Or what do you wish people knew about you I know that you took copious amounts of notes before um we got together so is there something that we didn't cover that you just want to get off your chest to make sure it's out there in the world but what I do want people to know is that it's never too late it's hmm. never too late to you know work on your dreams or to take steps towards that I know it's really scary I know um I just know it's really scary. I know that um, failure is a huge is a huge fear that I have even today. But um, there's there's so much courage, and there's so much confidence that you gain in going after those things that you really want and fill your heart. Um, it's important. It's important to seek happiness. I think that success to me is being happy, whether it's with a lot of money whether it's with a little bit of money, whether it's with a moderate amount of money. I think it's important to find um, your why. I think it's important to find uh, you. Mm. Um, I think it's really easy to get lost in, in the masses and get lost in your role as a mom, get lost in your role as a daughter, as a wife, as you know, whatever it is for you. Um, but don't lose you in whatever it is that you do, do not lose you. I don't know why every time I talk to you, I just want to cry. Like you're just so inspirational. <laughs> I love it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this today. I really appreciate you. Yes. If you are open to having your stuff public out in the world, where can people find you? Um, I am on Instagram and Facebook. Um, Instagram is Boricua Colora. I used to have red hair, so that's why uh, Colora means redhead. Ah. Um, 
Yeah, I used to have like uh, copper hair. It was my favorite. And I'm eventually going to go back to it, but it's just really hard to maintain. And I just don't have the time to do that anymore. But I really loved it. Anyways, it's Boricua Colora, B-O-R-I-Q-U-A-C-O-L-O-R-A. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, That's my like Instagram it. username. And um, on Facebook, it's just Aida Maldonado, A-I-D-A-M-A-L-D-O-N-A-D-O. There you yeah. go. 